0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 76 of the Orange you Podcast. I am over three quarters of the way to my goal of 100 episodes. I'm getting excited. So here we go. Today's episode, you are introduced to Professor Travis Triplett. Uh, She is a professor at Appalachian State University, and she is a professor of exercise physiology, which is just kind of understanding how exercise affects the human body in all aspects, from the cellular level, to the muscles, to the bones, to our brains, to everything. And if you Google Scholar her, go to Google, type her name in on Google Scholar, holy smokes, has she done and been a part of so many research studies and papers written solely about the importance of strength training and the effects on its body. Holy smokes. So it's really cool for me to talk to somebody who is so much smarter than I am in this topic so I can learn but also get to geek out with somebody who is as passionate as I am about this field as well. So in this episode, we dive into just the importance of strength training as we age for bone density, um, for cognitive function, for lean muscle mass, for longevity and vitality. In men and in women. So, really, really cool information. And if you're somebody who's not currently strength training and you listen to this episode, I think it's gonna really motivate you to get in the gym at least a couple days of the week and lift some weights and put on some lean muscle mass. And I'm mainly kind of talking to those um, runners out there. If you're a runner and that's all you ever do is run, I highly, highly recommend and I couldn't um, recommend more to get into the gym and lift weights. Um, a few days a week because it is just going to benefit you so much moving um, forward and it's also never too late to start so if you're someone listening to this who's like man i'm in my 60s it's just too late to start now it is not. Um, You will hear from Travis herself that she has worked with the older population plenty of times, people in their 60s and 70s who have added lean muscle mass, added bone density, and have increased their longevity and vitality starting in their 60s and 70s. So I'm just really excited for you guys to listen to this. Um, A lot of really awesome, great information. And uh, before we hop into this episode, here's just a quick message from our sponsor. Is your nutrition preventing you from reaching your goals? Do you enjoy eating healthy, but don't enjoy or have the time for all the prep work? If so, then I highly recommend checking out Lean Feast. Lean Feast is the premier meal prep service in the Madison area. They take out all the guesswork and provide you with quick, healthy meals on your schedule. The best part, you get to choose what goes into your meal and how many you purchase. Let's say you struggle with eating healthy lunches during the work week. Then you could go there, purchase five lunches, and eliminate that struggle. The meals take three minutes to warm up via microwave or stovetop, and then they are ready to eat. Season with your favorite spices to add your own little flair. Gone are the days of running to the drive thru or skipping meals altogether because you failed to plan. Head over to Lean Feast today and use promo code OSPODCAST for 10% off every order. You will not regret this decision. Hey, Travis, thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to speak with us. Um, I am really excited to have a conversation with you today. There's not many times where I get to kind of nerd out and geek out about exercise physiology, and especially with somebody like yourself. Um, I mean, looking you up online and just kind of getting to know you and your background and man, there's pretty much not a lot you haven't done or experienced in the exercise world. And I'm just like blown away by all the research papers and books and talks you've done and podcasts. And, um, and now you're, you're, you've been a professor for so long at multiple different universities, even in the world, you've traveled around the world and, and, and taught. So, man, I am just like really excited to just listen and learn, but also have you just like, um, share your, your passion and, you know, for exercise physiology and maybe, you know, do some awesome informing to our clients at Orange U as well. So thank you, Travis, for hopping on the podcast with me today.
1: No, I'm happy to be here.
0: So um, let's go ahead and just kind of start with a little bit of who who is Travis? Like we're, um, you know, kind of like how you got to where you are today and how you found your passion for the exercise world and kind of where that started and maybe some of the really cool things you have done along the way to um, where you are today.
1: Okay. Well, I think, uh, especially with regard to strength and conditioning, I I took a weight training class in college Uh, as my sophomore year and really just fell in love with it. I wasn't much of a runner. I think I always was a little more anaerobic with my energy systems, (laughs) you know, just short, short short-term stuff. So uh, I really enjoyed the weight training and that really, I think ignited that passion for that uh, type of training and that part of the field. And so uh, obviously I continued that uh, and just lifted throughout college. And um, I, you know, I think the other thing is when you start a training program and you start to see the benefits, then it's so much more motivating to keep going so I think that and and I was in the library and I remember I was over um by the like the different type of magazines in the field and I ran across the strength and conditioning journal I I didn't even realize that was a thing you know and so I think just seeing that and just wanting to learn more and more about the field and I you know, made friends, you you join gyms and you meet people. And so I made friends that were doing different types of strength training, whether they were powerlifting or bodybuilding. And, and I didn't really meet any uh, Olympic weightlifters right away, but that came later. And so I think then it, it just, you're in sponge mode, you know, you just want to <laughs> learn everything you can learn. And so I stuck with that. And then when it came time to decide what I was going to do after uh, graduation, I was looking at graduate programs in exercise science, and for me, it was coming back home. Um, so I'm from where I live now. It's Boone, North Carolina. I work at Appalachian State University, but uh, I did not do my undergrad here. I went uh, away to Wake Forest, but then when I came back for my master's, there were uh, a couple researchers here that were doing strength and conditioning research, and I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> this is the place I need to be. Plus, it was you know back home. So I really, uh, that's when I learned more about, uh, the Olympic weightlifting movements. And I think just learned from people that had, uh, my main mentor was Mike stone and, and he's, uh, well known in the strength and conditioning, uh, field as well in terms of, uh, as a scientist. And, um, so it was really great to study with him. And I, th- I think I just learned so much more. And then, um, so after my master's, I, uh, was able to go out to the Olympic training center. And I did a year out there in the sport physiology labs and I wasn't really doing necessarily strength and conditioning specific stuff, but just everything in general, um, testing athletes and, and everything. So that was just a great experience. And then I was ready at that point to go do my PhD. And so I went to Penn state for that. And so I was there for five years and, um, getting that degree. And again, worked with another kind of guru in strength and conditioning um, from the science side of it named Bill Kramer. And, um, and then after that, I had opportunity to go to Australia and do a postdoctoral fellowship. And so I was over there for two and a half years. And um, so that's where we started doing research studies with older folks. Mm. So people over the age of 60, um, and we did, you know, street training studies with them. And and we did different forms of strength training. And that's where I think I really enjoyed working with the older population. Um just for a lot of reasons, but you know, especially that you could really see changes, you could see positive benefits of, of using strength training um in, in that group. So
0: Yeah, I was just gonna um, ask like with that, it's like, is it I always tell people it's never too late to start. Oh, absolutely. You know, like some people think like, oh, I'm 60. But like you're saying, like, I feel like, you know, it's 60 years old. And if that's the first time you ever walk into a weight room, you can make such a a dramatic change in your life to benefit you moving forward, you know, and And we
1: saw it, we we could see it. None of these folks had ever lifted in their life. They, they had, they were active, you know, they, maybe they played tennis or walked or, um, you know, a few different things like that, but none of them. We pr- purposefully recruited people that had never lifted, and the changes we saw were just incredible. And it was, and they could see it too, and it, it just motivated them. <laughs> when we were going to end the study after six months, they wanted to keep going. <laughs> so we're yeah. like, okay. So we trained them for a whole year, and and that's kind of unheard of. Usually, when you do research studies, everybody's happy for it to end, and that was not the case at all. So. I saw I an interesting I... <laughs> documentary on
0: Netflix. Um, There was this woman, I can't remember what ne- documentary I was watching, but there was this woman who fell in love with weight training super late in life, like 50s, mm-hmm. 60s, like not when you, and then she ended up like falling in so much and she became a bodybuilder. And then she started competing and, like, she was, like, winning bodybuilding competitions for her, like, in her 60s and 70s. And she now teaches, like, you know, strength classes out in parks for, you know, the older population. And, like, she was able to put on so much muscle mass when people were, like – saying, you know, like, oh, you can't put on muscle mass after this year or 55 or 60. And she was like breaking down all those barriers. And she just like fell in love with fitness, you know, right. in, her, in her 60s. It was so cool to see.
1: And she's not the only one, you know, I, I've, there's a woman that has done a powerlifting comp, a few have done powerlifting competitions. And I'm sure there's men too, but you know, especially the women you hear about them, because especially in that age group, when they were young, people didn't lift. Yeah, You know, that it was looked upon like as weird or, you know, or not something you would want to do, especially as a woman. So, um, it's, you know, they're, they're finally discovering how beneficial it can be. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, they bodybuild and power lift and, and, um, and they're, they're, you know, they're healthy, they feel good. They're able to live independently. There's just so many benefits.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then after your fellowship down in Australia, did that bring you back to the States?
1: Yes, actually, to Lacrosse. So oh. that was my first faculty job. um, and I was there for five years before the uh, this opportunity came open down here. And so for me, it was coming back home. I did really enjoy living up in Wisconsin, but um, it was, you know, I had an opportunity to come back home. And so I've been here for 20 years now. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I know. And that's how um, I got connected with you is the, the franchise owner, Scott. He was one of your students at lacrosse yep. and, you know, he spoke so highly of you. He, you were a huge, in you know, influence to him and, Um, how he just, how he says, you know, how he trains people today is still due to you and, um, everything he does and his passion and his love for this field. And, you know, he initially went to school because to become like a gym teacher. And he did that for like six months, quit, hated it. And then that's when he got into the training world. And in a lot of it and what he knows and what he has learned and how he onboards new trainers and what he teaches them is pretty much how you onboarded him and taught him and everything he learned from you. And so, um, yeah, you were a huge influence to Scott and he was like really excited to connect me with you and chat with you. And, you know, one of the questions that Scott had posed to me, um, he had kind of sent me a couple to ask you. And, you know, one of them was that he... Um, had a couple, had a couple professors, you know, different professors, obviously in college and, you know, and one of his professors, the, she had her grad students training older clients, um, at the gym. And I think he trained faculty and then there's sometimes, you know, you get clients for studies to come in and, and weight train and have the, the grad students train them and stuff. And, you know, they're those grad students that, that tra- uh, that, um, uh, professor had that the students training these individuals using all just kind of like machines, you know, like, a, like we'd go to a 24 hour gym, you got like the Nautilus machines, which machines are great. It's not a knock on them at all. It's very safe right. way for a lot of people to get into training. Um, and And, but then he was said that, well, he would walk into the gym and he would see you doing completely opposite. Like your grad students (laughs) self are training these older individuals using the barbell, doing hang power cleans and deadlifts and, and shoulder presses and push presses and things like that. And so it just got him thinking, um, and he was just wondering, you know, how did you develop your training philosophy over the years and your experience through all your schooling and whatnot? What kind of really you know, maybe who was that, you know, you were influential to Scott who was maybe influential to you and how did you kind of create your own kind of training philosophy?
1: Yeah. And that's a great question. I think, uh, it was definitely years of, uh, just being around different people that were training for different things. And so, uh, you know, I didn't really have any faculty that talked about bodybuilding. That was more just, you know, people my age that were that was kind of the thing to do. Um, and then, um, and similarly with powerlifting, but uh, and just learning about lifting in general. But then, then when I I mentioned it when I got to App State um, and working with Dr. Stone, he had a really heavy uh, background in Olympic lifting. He mm-hmm. he competed. Um, and so I learned a lot more about that. So I think just understanding all the different, uh, training goals and training methods that go into all those different activities, um, that made me start to question what we're doing with older people. And so, um, you know, by the time I got to lacrosse, we had already, I had done a couple studies with, uh, the folks uh, that I worked with in Australia. Some of them were students, some of them were faculty, but we were very interested in um, strength training to preserve bone density or reverse some of the bone loss that you see with aging. And so the initial study we did was with um, pre, I think we had a mix of pre and postmenopausal women. And we had a mix of training modalities, mainly because that's what we had available in our uh facility. So it was some free weight, some machines. We weren't really doing power movements at that point. But mm-hmm. then the follow-up study, you know, we realized that um the whole idea of bone density is very closely tied to falls prevention because, you know, that's what happens. People fall and because their bones are weak, then they end up breaking something. And so we we were thinking, well, how do you, you know, prevent falls and you, you look at what people do or don't do as they age, and they, you know, we just stop doing ballistic explosive type movements. You know, nobody's really running sprints, you know, in their, I mean, some people might be, but <laughs> in their 60s or doing plyometrics or, you know, so, but we know those things are, are good for bone density. So we're, we were thinking, well, how can we, you know, address this in the older population, um, but, you know, safely. And so we, we designed our training to uh, first start out with general, like a, a phase, a three month phase of just building up strength, you know, and, um, we had a pretty simple routine. It was only six exercises, but it hit all the major muscle groups and with compound movements. I think that's the other thing, you know, you mentioned machines and a lot of times machines are very isolating, which is fine, Mm -hmm. but, um, especially as we age, we're not doing movements that, uh, always involve a lot of our muscles at one time. So we'd lose that, we lose that coordination and that's a, maybe another reason for falls. But so we were trying to target more compound movements that involve, you know, several joints, several muscles. So you mentioned deadlift. We did those, we did, we modified it, but, um, and we did, we had a squat in a Smith machine just to kind of help take away some of the, um, you know, obviously we want everybody to lift with good technique, but it, it helped remove some of the variables and it kept the move a little more simple. We did things like leg press. Again, that's a fairly compound movement. And then we, you know, we included some isolation movements, but we train people more heavily with multi muscle, multi joint movements. And then those are easier to do in a more powerful fashion. So then we ended up transitioning people to jump squats or leg press throws. Um, so when we did the research and the the results we got were amazing and we we realized oh this is okay you know if you instruct people properly if you monitor them um you don't just leave them to their own you know devices (laughs) if you're watching their technique and and making sure they're being safe then they can do these movements they can make a lot of gains and they can help prevent um prevent falls and Mm -hmm. um and then we did monitor bone density and we really, what we saw was that there, they did, they can, uh, did not continue to lose bone. They didn't mm-hmm. really gain much bone back in that particular study, but they stopped losing it. And th- yeah. that's just really is important. You mm-hmm. want to stop that, uh, bone loss process. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So then by the time I got to lacrosse, I already had that background, from those studies. And so when we did any studies there, it was kind of, we just followed the same patterns where we did, yeah, free weight movements and compound movements and, um, and just to compare and make sure people were uh, really getting the benefit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how I see that a lot of, you know, when we, when we do a lot of our training, we try to, you know, teach the, uh, or and just inform, you know, a lot of inf- informing mm-hmm. of why we're doing certain movements and why we're moving laterally, why are we moving rotationally? And especially with our older population, because like you said, there's a lot as we age, there's a lot of things that, you know, life in general won't ask us to do. So we're never doing it anymore. Um, we're never doing any sort of balance work. We're never trying mm-hmm. to do compound movements while in a balanced position, a single leg position, you know, doing um lateral movements, asking our bodies to do a lateral lunge. So we just get we get so that gets so foreign to us. Mm-hmm. If we ask our body to do it, we're very unstable. We don't know how to we don't know how to move our hips to counterbalance ourselves and, you know, and doing a lot of that stuff. And it's amazing how fast though someone could come in when their first training session and be so imbalanced. And so, you know, tight and specific ranges of motion. And then all of a sudden in four or five, six weeks down the road, they're doing these movements and they could still talk with you. And they're like, Oh yeah, th- their body has already like the neurological pathways. Everything has already started to tie together. And then I pointed out to him, I was like, Hey, you remember like four weeks ago, you couldn't do this, like focusing. And now I'm having a conversation with you and you're knocking these out. No problem. And they're like, Whoa, like you're <laughs> so right. Like you know? And so when we train, we tell people like every, you know, when we go for a walk outside or when we're just in our daily lives, our feet only come up like three or four inches off the ground. And so let's work on, you know, doing things that in the gym in a safer manner, let's, you know, do some high knees, let's do some squat jumps, let's do things in a safe manner. So then when life inevitably asks you to do something like that, you're prepared for it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, kind of like the whole train for the unknown and unknowable, but we got to make sure that we're, we're putting our bodies through all those different ranges of motion. And when you do that and you're, you're training the whole body um, that body's all going to be able to work together and use all those muscles for stability and for balance and for coordination and so once everyone kind of understands that, it all kind of hits this light bulb. And then then they buy into the training. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I think that's why it's the importance of information and informing is that you get buy-in. And then when you get buy-in, the results are even better because now the person is bought into the program. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard it, the greatest, you know, the greatest program ever written falls flat if the person doesn't understand it and they give a 5% effort, but you know, the easiest program ever written, if the person training understands it and they give it a hundred percent is they're going to see better results. And so I think just the information and and the knowledge um, that, you know, providing the client that information and knowledge as to why and what they're going to see from this expedites that, that result is so much faster as well.
1: Right. And, and, you know, that old adage, you know, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it is so true, but it Mm -hmm. can come back. I think that's the beauty of, you know, the things we study in exercise science. We realize how, uh, I guess, adapt adaptive the body can really be. And, and just a little side story. One of our subjects that, you know, we had been doing power training for a few months and he tripped over his dog going down the stairs and he swears our training, enabled him to catch himself and not, you know, fall down yeah. the stairs. You know, we don't have any way to measure that, but yeah. you know, he really believed he's like, yeah, that really saved me because I was able to react. I'm mm-hmm. like, great. Uh, <laughs> we'll it's take Simply
0: it. just the confidence, you know, the confidence yeah. to know that you could put your leg out or whatever and support yourself and not fall, you know, just having that confidence because you've done it so many reps in the gym, you know, mm-hmm. it's amazing just having confidence and how much confidence can just help you feel safe in your day to day as Mm -hmm. well you know and in 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 your opinion like how important is strength training for bone density though like the more that you've learned about it and and things like that like is it the most important thing for to do for people to do to maintain or gain bone density as we age or is there something like supplementation that's more important where would you rank the importance of like strength training on you know for people as we age and bone density
1: I would say it is probably the most important thing. Now, I do understand that some people need supplementation, you know, uh, depending on the diet, depending on how the body's, you know, processing that, that they may just need a little help. And so that's where the supplements come in. Um, But you can take all the supplements you want. And if you're not stressing the bones, they're not going to respond. And so that stress of the bones comes from the muscle muscle which is attached to the bone, pulling on that bone, you know, and that, that's a result of movement. And so we have to move and, um, but we have to also load, uh, that muscle and you can really only do that with some type of weight training. And, um, even though there are studies out there that, uh, have looked at walking programs and, um, the, really the only ones that have done anything with uh, bone density in terms of, any kind of positive benefit, uh, are when the programs were, um, or the walking was on very hilly terrain. So Mm -hmm. walking on a flat surface, great for your heart. It's not going to do anything for muscles and bones really. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, that's where the weights come in. You can load the muscle and do it in a controlled manner. And then you do get some type of positive benefits.
0: What about weighting the walking? So like if you're carrying like a, a backpack, a ruck, um, or maybe you're doing some sort of like variations of carries, kettlebell carries, front rack carries, contralateral carries, is that a very good way to kind of now take something like walking and now make it a little bit more beneficial for bone density?
1: Oh yeah. I think anytime you can overload the system, so to speak a little bit. So that is beneficial. I think, um, there's obviously limitations with anything you do, you know, weight training exercises have their, you know, limitations of what plane of movement that they're in. And similarly with the, but I think if you do all these things, you don't have to do anything a a whole lot, but if you do all these things uh, you're going to have like an overall benefit to your skeleton and to your Mm -hmm. skeletal health.
0: And is it important to, you know, is it, is it more consistency that's important? Like the consistency of strength training and overloading, or does the person consistently need to be progressively overloading and like continually getting stronger, challenging with more weight and more weight, or can somebody simply see the benefits of strength training and bone density by just being consistent with a weight training program and not necessarily having to achieve higher and higher weights?
1: I, yeah, absolutely. I think you, you you know, you're going to see, the ability to achieve higher and higher weights at the beginning of any program, you know, your mm-hmm. body's adapting. And so, but there's going to be a point where those adapt that adaptation will slow down, but it doesn't mean you have to then take it to a whole new level. That's the mentality of like a, olympic athlete in their case they have to because they want to compete on a world stage but for the rest of us um i think once you you know your body adapts you want to maintain what you've achieved and so that is perfectly fine and there's ways to um you know vary the program so the body uh doesn't go totally stale, you know, and you start to lose, you don't want to do Mm -hmm. that. But yeah, I think you can reach a point where if you can just maintain, you will be uh, in great, you know, form for just your activities of daily living, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. and preventing falls or breaks or things like that. So yeah, Mm -hmm. consistency, it, 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 it does go back to this, the whole idea of it's a lifestyle it's a change for you are you're getting a new lifestyle but it's you want it to be something you can maintain and cuz that's when you you'll really see um it pay off and so just that consistency you don't have to go nuts but you just if you just are steady and just keep doing it you'll be in you know it'll be great
0: yeah and i think that's it's important to you know try try to let you know a lot of clients know that the idea of you know if you're trying to just live a nice healthy lifestyle and so you could grow old with your kids you could go hiking you could do everything that you want to do um i think sometimes people get stuck into always thinking that they have to be going heavier and heavier and heavier and then some people don't want to they're like oh tom like i don't want to keep getting heavier weights and going heavier and i'm like no that's fine like it's okay you don't have to like right. you could just maintain, we don't need to, you know, a 500 pound deadlift isn't going to serve somebody like if, for the very simple, like, you know, 1% of the world that are trying to compete, they need a 500 pound deadlift, but right. the other 99% of the world doesn't need to be anywhere <laughs> near that to live a nice, long, healthy life. And so a lot of times like, I see a lot of people that are like, oh, okay, that's good to know because- You know, I always say, like, I think one of the results that's easily forgotten about for a lot of people is when we're in the gym, it's very result driven. People want to see results, whether that's weight loss or strength gain or balance Mm -hmm. or whatever. But I say, I think sometimes people forget that just the idea of maintaining as you age is probably the best result you're ever going to have in the gym. Because if you build up, you do a big, heavy deadlift cycle and you build up to a 600 pound deadlift. I think the easy part is getting to the 600 pound deadlift. The hard part is keeping that 600 pound deadlift. And do you want to, yeah, do you want to keep do you want to keep training the deadlift at that intensity for 10, 15, 20 years? I mean, man, that's just going to really wreck you. And right. I feel, I think for more people, I'm like, it's okay. Like I've had to you know, explain this to some of our clients who now have maybe been with us for five years and they're like, oh, Tom, I haven't, you know, I haven't gone up any, you haven't really had me swing anything higher than this 16 kilo kettlebell you know, shouldn't I be stronger by now or whatever? And I'm like, well, I know that you're stronger. You probably could swing the 20 kilo, the 24 kilo, the 32 kilo for X amount of reps or whatever. But I'm like that's not the importance here. It's the fact right. that you're 5 years older and you're still you're still swinging the 16 kilo, kilo kettlebell for 12 to 15 reps. I think that's going to be more important for what your goals that you told me about just longevity and health. Mm-hmm. That's more important for you to consistently do than to maybe try to like really push a training stimulus to try to get to a 24 or a 32 kilo swing. And then once they kind of understand that, they're like, oh, you're right. Like, I am five years older. My my conditioning times have gotten better. I'm still swinging the 16 kilo kettlebell. I'm like, there you go. It's the idea <laughs> of how long can we maintain this into our lives. I think that's kind of like a forgotten result in the fitness world. The fitness world is just maintenance. Maintenance is huge.
1: Right. And I agree with that. You know, we, we train people to peaks because we're, you know, doing research and we want to, you know, see what we can accomplish but yeah i think for long term um it's so hard you ask any you ask it, those elite athletes they cannot maintain their peak performance you know everybody mm-hmm. reaches a point where it's going to get worse and so um we don't need that it it, it goes back to what do you need and what's going to be the optimal for you and and that is that uh you're better than you were and and you're able to maintain it and uh, not really see the decline with aging that you, uh, see when people, you know, don't do anything. And so that's, that's a huge benefit. Mm
0: -hmm. And over your years of, um, you know, doing all these different studies and what are, what are some of the differences you have seen between males and females? um with you know bone density loss is one does one experience it faster than the other does one maintain it better than another can one gain it back a little bit faster than another what has been your experience with um the difference between the genders
1: um mainly you know men we know don't they do lose bone um, you reach your peak bone around, you know, 30 to 35 years old. And so after that, it's a slow decline. Uh, for men, it's a very slow decline. Most men, uh, that, you know, just have a normal level of activity. If they're active, then it's even slower. Women, um, I kind of have two issues. We, we don't have the testosterone levels that men do. Testosterone is promoting to bone. Um, but the other thing is, um, menopause, uh, when we lose the, uh, protective hormones that, uh, because estrogen actually, uh, is a, a stimulator of, of bone as well. And so when we lose that with menopause, then bone density really starts to plummet. And, um, so women still lose it much more quickly. And then they, especially during those menopause years and menopause can go on for 10 years, not all mm-hmm. the symptoms, but just that whole process of the the ovaries you know shrinking down and f- stopping uh their hormone production and so that's a long time to be losing bone at a faster rate and so i think um and you you mentioned supplements earlier if anybody's going to need supplements whether it's you know medication or just like supplements like calcium and vitamin d it's usually going to be women because um they just their body it's just a fight to maintain that bone density but that's why strength training in women is so much more important
0: mm-hmm.
1: um just not you know just for maintenance of muscle mass um because again women don't have the testosterone we have growth hormone but um so it, it's hard enough to maintain muscle mass and then so really the best way to do that is with street training but then that you get the beneficial effects on the bone too so mm-hmm. but there are some uh gender differences um But men can lose bone too, and especially if they're not active. Um, So for men, if they weight train, it definitely helps them preserve their bone density as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And when is, for women, is it, when is like the optimal time to, in your life to really strength train, to make sure that menopause doesn't hit you as hard? Like, you know, obviously, you know, starting strength training at any age is important, right? It's Mm -hmm. never too late to start. We kind of hit that in the beginning. Um, but what is, when is like, what are those years? Like, and when is it like, do women see, you know, is it in their thirties, their forties their fifties? Like, have you seen like a more optimal time for women to really buy into strength training to really help them as they age?
1: I think, you know, as early as possible is best, but you know, you're not gonna, um, there's, you know, folks out there that didn't have that opportunity or didn't have that knowledge. So, I mean, if we think about just from a bone perspective, if, if you can say that most people by the age of thirty five will have peaked with their bone density, I would say then then they need to start training to so they don't lose it as quickly. Um, but again, it's never too late. Uh, we can see some benefits. The younger you are, I think uh, you it is possible to regain some of that bone loss what we found in the older people it just takes so much longer and so we but they're at least maintaining so here we are back to our maintenance (laughs) idea again if you're if you're not losing bone and everyone else your age is you're going to be you know in better shape you know 10 years down the road so um in terms of your bone density so um Yeah, I think it's never too late for anything, but the older you get, the slower the process is to, you know, maybe recoup some of that bone loss. Mm -hmm. And and same thing with muscle loss. We do see atrophy about, uh, you know, after age 50, it it really starts to accelerate. And, you know, again, that's a function of people not really doing activities. If you look at people that maintain their uh, active lifestyle as they age, they don't see, they don't see losses in muscle as much or they don't see losses in their, you know, like their heart's ability to pump blood as, or their oxygen consumption during activity as much, you know, it it Mm -hmm. definitely slows down that whole Mm -hmm. aging process, but it still is happening. So I think the sooner people can get involved in these type of programs, the better, but don't let your age prevent you from, because you can still make gains. Like we talked about at the very beginning, people that got into um you know training and they didn't get into training with the idea that they were going to compete they just wanted to you know feel better and get healthier and then they saw the, all the benefits and then they realized hey i could go you know do a bodybuilding contest or a powerlifting contest and then and then it turns into you know more of a passion but um you don't have to do that but just that whole you see those physical benefits and they don't you know if you keep training, they're not going to go away. Mm -hmm. You you know, you reach a point, you're going to stay there unless you stop training. So, Mm
0: -hmm. and with that, you know, pivoting from bone density now to other like chronic diseases, you know, what has been your research and uh, your understanding and maybe, maybe some uh, really cool breakthroughs you have seen and stuff with the importance of strength training to prevent you know, a lot of other chronic diseases. Have have you studied any specific chronic disease or, you know, when it comes to like dementia, Alzheimer's, things like that, has there been any really big breakthroughs and the, of the importance of just straight training on, you know, other, other uh, medical issues that people may run into as they age and in life, you know, if they're and sedentary and whatnot.
1: I'd, I'm not really up on that literature. I think uh, there's been some work that I'm a little more familiar with people studying, um, exercise, including strength training. It wasn't just strength training uh, and cancer and how beneficial it is, um, for people that, um, are in all stages of cancer from like just diagnosed the initial treatments to like long-term maintenance of health. Um, I think, you know, what, what my research has looked more at would be like just functional, uh, aspects of, uh, of living. And, you know, we always say people, shouldn't end up in nursing homes. You know, if you just maintain your strength, you're not going to be frail. And that's why, you know, people are in, and not every type of just straight up nursing home, not like a facility that's, you know, looking after people with maybe cardiovascular disease or whatever. Um, but yeah, if you just have frailty, Um, really that is something that can be prevented. You know, some things can't be prevented, but frailty can certainly be prevented. And strength training is the way to do that because you you maintain muscle mass, you maintain bone strength, and that's, those are the things that make you frail if you don't have those. And so, and then by doing those things, you can maintain your activities of daily living. You know, I always tell people I want carrying my groceries to be, you know, five or 10% of my strength rather than 70% (laughs) of my strength. And um, and we and all then, want to you know, do it in
0: one trip as well,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> carry all those bags. Um, but then you know, then that that gets into the whole uh, mental health side of it, where yeah. you, you know, you feel that you mentioned confidence, but just you know, you feel um that that maintaining that independence is so important for people to feel um, I don't know, just happy and productive. And, and we saw some of that. We, I guess that's one regret I have from the studies we, we did. Um, We weren't really looking at the psychology of it, but I could see the, just the (laughs) transformation in people as they got stronger and just felt better and their pain. You know, we had people with like arthritic knees or backs or shoulders or, and all of that, you know, it, it, it didn't go away entirely, but it, Virtually went away, you know, as you mm-hmm. strengthen the muscles around your joints, those joints are not having to, you Burden, know, really that, yeah. absorb, carry the load, yeah, yeah, absorb all that uh force, and so you just feel better. And you could, you know, we had people that could actually then squat down during their gardening and you know, and they could get back up by that because <laughs> apparently that was a thing. Oh, I can get down, I just can't get back up. So, uh, gravity just, works,
0: right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So just little things like that. And I wish we had had a mechanism to measure some of those um, psychological changes yeah. that were, we could see just how much um, more people in, were able to do things and enjoy it and just feel better about themselves. But,
0: mm-hmm. And that's a big thing with like exercise and strength training in general is like, mm-hmm. do it for the freedom it gives you outside the gym. Never go to the gym just for the aspect of like, you know, I want to be able to do these things only in the gym. But like the think about everybody that is so passionate about and they love gardening, like that example of gardening, mm-hmm. like so many people, if they realize going to the gym a couple of days of work and doing some strength training will allow them to do gardening the rest of their lives and enjoy being outside and being able to squat down, stand back up multiple times in a row and mm-hmm. do it multiple times a week because they got to tend their garden. Now everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I should strength train. But I think sometimes people get this idea that strength training is, you know, you do it for just the looks and you do it to see how much weight in it's a, it's an ego thing. And it's like, no, no, no. no. Like, yeah, there are egotistical people and there, are you know, there are competitions that are seemed like there is a lot of ego to it. And, but that's not the, that's not the reason why the majority of people should be in a gym working out consistently strength training. It's uh, to be able to continue doing the things you love outside the gym. I always say it's a, right. if you're never using the, your fitness outside the gym, what are you doing? Like, you, don't yeah. just show up to the gym to be good at being <laughs> in the gym and then never use it outside the gym, play new sports, learn new things, try different stuff, use your body and, and, and make sure that you're going to be able to continue doing the things that you love really long into your life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think, you know, we're so far now, like there's been so much more study Studying are, you know, study around research around strength training and exercise and chronic disease that it's like a no brainer, right? Like obviously fitness has been proven to help out so many things and there's no arguing it at all. And so many of the chronic diseases can be prevented from just a regular consistent exercise routine, whether And for a lot of people, I tell people just do what you love, you know, and if you like ballet dancing and that's your form of exercise, the majority of the week, then awesome ballet dance. Like it doesn't have to look like everybody else, but there is the importance of everybody should be doing some sort of strength training because we need that lean muscle mass and we need to be able to do that. And I know one of the big things I get a lot, and I'm sure you've been asked this question a ton of times and as throughout is like, especially with women and strength training, we get this kind of like, I don't want to be bulky. I don't want to look like this. I don't want to get like, and what is your typical response (laughs) to a woman when you want to get them strength training? And that's what they say to you. Like, I don't want to be bulky. I don't want to look like this. Like, what is your response to that? And um, because a lot of times people use that as their reason as to why they don't strength train, the reason why they don't do shoulder presses or they don't do bicep curls So they don't squat or lunge or something is because they're afraid that they're going to look bulky. And so, but the importance of strength training is so much more important than worrying about getting bulky. So what is your response to that?
1: Well, I guess, first of all, it's not that easy to get bulky, um, number one. Um, and you know, I think it's skewed by the images that are seen like in the magazines and on television and the movies, you know, those people are, they're. Their dietary practices, tip are, of the spear, oh, yeah, completely different than anything most of us would be able to uh, willingly uh, do. and then and then there's the, you know, aspect of whether it's uh, supplementation um, specialized things or whether it's, you know, illegal substances, you know, <laughs> performance enhancing substances that uh, people take to try to maximize benefits. It's so hard to really put on that kind of muscle mass uh, with just a normal, regular diet and normal, regular training routine. So I I just tell people, don't, you don't have anything to fear. Um, If anything, you'll, you know, lose some of that uh, fat, that layer that's right under the skin and you'll, you know, you'll look more, I don't really like the word toned because that doesn't (laughs) mean anything, but that's in the vernacular. That's what people are yeah. thinking. It's like, no, you'll look It's you really, you're looking leaner, but, um, and I do think that having muscles is a little more accepted now. Um, yeah.
0: Strong is the new, beautiful type. Right. Like, yeah, And
1: so that's going to make it, that makes it a little easier. People aren't quite as afraid, but yeah, to look like the people on the magazines, that's just not going to happen. And so it's, um, I just try to downplay that and say look we can write programs to you know minimize growth and just focus on strength because you know that that's true we can um change how we do the sets and reps to where mm-hmm. people but you know women uh, struggle to hypertrophy anyway anyway and so, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's just not as much of a thing and then i think once people get into it they realize they're not gonna look um you know like uh, I guess whatever it is, they fear that they are going to. Yeah. And different. I think a lot of
0: times, you know, CrossFit has brought in a lot of that because you see a lot of these women that CrossFit. I mean, they have six oh, pack abs and their yeah. their traps and, they're, and, they're, delts and yeah. they're, they're I mean, I mean, to me, I, I think it's amazing. I'm like, man, what the human body is capable of. Right. And like, but at the end of the day, everyone's like, I, I don't want to look like her. And I'm like, uh, and- <laughs> you're not, you're not, don't yeah. worry. You're not going to look like her. Like, do you plan on training th- three to six hours a day? Do you have access? I mean, do you plan on eating the amount of calories she eats? Right. Do you plan on eating the amount of protein she eats? Do you plan yeah. on like, I'm like, if you're not going to do any no of that, sugar, no, no I mean, sugar, you know, I mean, her her diet stuff. is like <laughs> thick, clean. She's not drinking any alcohol. I mean, it's like, she's sleeping 10 hours a night. She's got people (laughs) like taking care of her. Her recovery is to the max. Like I'm like youth coming to the gym and you know, doing 30 minutes of strength training. Yeah. Like you're (laughs) here three days a week doing 30 minutes of strength training that will never get you like that ever. Like you have no worries. And I think a lot of times two people, and then also explaining like how you get that size with like hypertrophy training and like, how we train, like we're not doing hypertrophy training at the gym and, and even if we were, you still wouldn't look like her, but it's mm-hmm. like, like getting going back long. to, yeah. Getting, getting back to like the informing, like uh, so many people they're not informed, right? They didn't like me and you, they didn't go to school for this stuff. They don't understand right. how it all works. And so to them, they just think bicep curls, give me arms like that. And I don't want to do bicep <laughs> curls. And it's like, and so I think once you kind of get, yeah. Once you inform, they're like, oh, okay. Right. And I remember I had a, I had a funny uh, client experience. I had a client who's like, Tom, you know, we would love to have a six pack. And, um, but he's like, I just want a six pack for like six hours. And then I want to go, but I think it'd be cool to, you know, one day be able to like see a six pack. I think that would just be awesome. And I go, okay, that's cool. You know, I, I love the, when people have specific goals to train for and they're fun and it's always good to like push yourself and try to accomplish something. But in my head, I was like, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start to explain to him how we're going to get that six pack. And it was everything on the diet side of things. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, so you're going to eliminate this. We're going to get a, we got to figure out, you know, what's going to put you in a deficit for calories. We're going to make sure you're keeping your protein higher. And that's the majority of your calories. And we're going to have to make sure we're, we're eliminating alcohol and any sort of inflammatory, you know, um, you know, anything that your body inflames with and X, Y, and Z. And then he realized that it was all like, he thought it was just gonna be like ups, and he thought it was just gonna be sit-ups and core Exercises that are going to get them there, and <laughs> he realized that it wasn't that, and how hard it was going to be. I'm like, achieving a six pack is incredibly hard, and then maintaining a six pack is ten oh. times harder. And once he realized everything that went into it, he's like, yeah, never mind. I don't want a six pack. That's cool. Thanks a lot, Tom. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it came down to just the informing. And uh, I was like, the people you see with it six pack, they're cr- incredibly dedicated. Their nutrition is by far, it's dialed in perfectly. And the training has a little bit to do with it. But yeah, we always say like everybody has a six pack. It's just whether you see it or not. And that's all that's all happening in the kitchen. Right. And so um, I think it's fun once you start to do some informing and you start to explain to clients some of these things of like how they're going to achieve certain things. Once they hear what it's going to take, they're like, oh. Okay. Yeah. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nope. let's move on. I forgot that I ever asked that question.
1: <laughs> well, and I always tell people you cannot out train a bad diet. Absolutely. And so, or even, and it doesn't even have to be a bad diet, just, you know, yeah. it, and so they have to go hand in hand and yeah, it is incredibly hard. And and I think, you know, we see like, well, not celebrities as much, but like actors have to train for a certain role. And, yeah. but even they say, Oh yeah. You know, look at Chris Hemsworth. Even he says, you know, he can't maintain, maintain that, that training. Yeah. He does it for the role. He makes it through the the shooting of the scenes, and then it's just like, oh, okay, now I can like eat something <laughs> enjoyable, and I don't have to yeah. work out five hours a day now. And, Did uh, you
0: watch that show Limitless by chance?
1: No, I need him. to watch that. Yeah, I it's think. Great.
0: Yeah, you would love it. Um, anybody who's like into the science and likes to geek out on all the science and stuff, it's just really cool. And you know, mm-hmm. it's a perfect example of that because it, during the show, like during one of the episodes, he is um, uh, he has to go and and he has to start eating and training to get ready for a Thor shoot. He was shooting right. the new the new Thor movie. And when he's in some of these episodes, he's obviously women love the show. He he's, in, he's his shirt is off all the time, and so but the majority of the time when he has a shirt off in this show when he's not training for Thor, he just looks like I mean he's obviously in great shape right? He's right. in great shape, but he doesn't look anywhere near. He doesn't like look he does. like Thor
1: fit Thor fit
0: right <laughs> exactly yeah. with a special airbrushing with a little bit of CGI like you know like oh, he yeah. doesn't look like he does in the movies and um but you see a little bit of of he kind of. talks talks. talks a little bit about what he needs to start doing in order to get, he has to gain like 30 pounds of muscle, 40 pounds of muscle for that. He's eating six, 7,000 calories a day. It's cooking up. He's cooking up steaks multiple times a day of the week. He's like, I'm just just constantly eating. eating. Yeah. He's just constantly uh. eating. And, and I'm like, so you kind of get a little of a peek. you get a little bit of a sneak peek you get to see his, and then what, how his training differs for that and um, just how much work goes into him looking the way he does in those yep. movies. But then as soon as those movies are done, he's not eating like that anymore. His training changes back to something that he finds enjoyable that he can see himself right. doing the rest of his life. And now he, his whole body, he atrophies a little bit. He shrinks. Yeah, back he, down atrophies. And he, he still yeah. looks
1: fit, but he's definitely not the size. Yeah, exactly. It's just crazy how your body can adapt that like fast. That.
0: Right. That's always like, mm-hmm. how I always like to kind of uh, talk about like, you know, The reason, you know, and I think you've done some work with NASA, right? Like with astronauts and studying that. And like, I always tell you, you know, so many astronauts, when we go to space, they have to work out because their bodies would atrophy so much in space because our bodies are smart. Our bodies are like, whoa, I don't need all this muscle mass because now I'm in space, I'm floating. And now that means less calories I have to consume because I always tell people, all your body cares about is keeping you alive. It doesn't care about how much muscle mass you have, how big you are, how much you could lift, how much you could squat. It just realizes that now I'm floating, I don't have gravity and now I can eat less calories because I have less muscle mass. And that's why it's so important for astronauts to work out in space because of that. And what has been some of your experience with working with uh, NASA astronauts and things like that?
1: So what we did or what I was involved with was kind of the early stages of, they recognize that exactly what you're saying. Um, You go into space, you start losing muscle and bone and and that's all well and good up in space. I mean, you're not going to lose it all, but you're going to lose a lot. But when you come back to earth, then you are you know, really, uh, I always tell people you don't ever see them getting off the shuttle. It's because they're <laughs> taking them out in stretchers and wheelchairs, and that's really not a good public image. So they'll like wave from the door, and then then you know then they shoo the cameras away and they put them on stretchers and wheelchairs because. You've been in space. Uh now it's not so bad now because we've got the training machine up there, but those machines um, are
0: insane. Like Yeah.
1: So that's <laughs> that was uh the committee I was on. It was like a kind of a I don't know, advisory panel. We worked with them for oh, it's like 10 years. And um as they were developing um this you know, machine that they have now up on the space station that the astronauts used to train on because that was the problem. How do you lift weights in space? You know, weight <laughs> goes against, you know, has to go against gravity as well. So they devised this machine. It's got uh it's got flywheels and it's got um the pneumatic, the air uh canisters like the Kaiser that's a brand that has the yeah. air technology. And so it's like a combo of that, but it's it's a machine that enables them to uh, I think they can do about 30 different exercises and they can load it up to about 600 pounds. So it, it's great. I mean, they can really get a good workout in and they, they do, they train every day because you think to, right? about Is it like regulated it, they have to.
0: it's regulated.
1: Yeah. So, you know, cause 23 hours a day, they're floating around weightless with nothing to, you know, that their muscles are really having to work against. So that really that hour, hour and a half a day, Um, and they do some cardio too, but, um, that hour, hour and a half a day of exercise is so vital for them to, um, not only be able to do things up there, but when they come back to earth, they're not so compromised. And so, you know, like atrophied physically, and they've had really good success with this, the version of the machine that's up there now, which I think went up in 08, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, I got involved in 98 and, um, we helped them devise a couple, versions of weight training equipment that they could use on that they shuttle missions and um and then as they were constructing the international space station and so then finally once that space station was where they could um they had the room to put this last version of the machine up there. That's what they did. And so then our, our job was kind of done, but yeah, we, we weren't working directly with the astronauts, but we were working with the people that were working with the astronauts mm-hmm. and, you know, with the de- design of the equipment and then just how their training regimens needed to be. And really um, they trained for a good two years before they ever go uh, up to, you know, now the space station and, um, so, but part of that is, you know, just the result of, we said, you you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. So they were really trying to, um, you know, get their muscle mass developed, get their bone density and really, you know, peak levels before they ever go up into space and then try to maintain it as long as they can while they're up there. And it's tough. It's tough, but yeah, they're doing it. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of like, cause I mean, obviously with Elon Musk talking about living in space. And, you know, and who knows, we're never going to see it in our lifetimes. No, we're, yeah, we're a ways away from that. It'd be, I'm like, oh, I'm already kind of thinking about like, man, I wonder what gyms are going to look like on Mars and like, you know, (laughs) and then like the different things and how the body and I just, um, I read a book, um, Packing for Mars. And okay. and it was it 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 was really interesting. And the whole book was just the idea of someday we're gonna live in space probably. We're not gonna live on mm. Earth. I mean, we're already in space, we're on we're on Earth, but like we're gonna live somewhere else with less gravity, things like that. And it was really interesting. The whole book just dove into the science around like mm-hmm. what's going to happen. We don't know like that long-term that longevity of being in space and things like that. Like what, what, how the body's going to respond to it and just like all these different, um, I just, it was a really interesting book. It was really diving yeah. into the science of like, obviously the strength training, the, you know, diets, uh, what we can grow and what we can't when it comes to food and just like all this stuff. And it was just like really interesting with, um, you know, yeah, just so much stuff that's happening in space um, that we don't really know a lot about yet, and especially how it affects the human body. And um, so it was a really, really interesting book because this—I can't remember the author of the book, but yeah, she was like thinking already about that. Like, okay, what are what are these things that we're gonna have to think about? um, when it comes to the human body, um, that we are not thinking about right now because we're on earth and it doesn't affect us. Right. So yeah. It, it and as be, we uh,
1: understand more, um, and actually I was on a, I did some grant reviewing for NASA. They were reviewing grant proposals. Um, and it was looking at the, it was all about, uh, the psychology of it because yeah, right yep. now, um, you know, until we are able to develop, you know, spaceships that have like, artificial gravity and things like that, you know, you're looking at a, or, or find means of propelling ships at a faster rate. You know, you're looking at like a 15 to 18 month journey just to get to Mars. Yeah, yep. And that's one of our closest planets. And so, and you're in a small confined space. What if there's a problem <laughs> between mm-hmm. some people, you know, and they're really concerned about that, that, you know, you're, you're stuffing people into a, small space and, and you don't want, uh, people to really struggle (laughs) mentally, uh, and, uh, you know, jeopardize everything there. And so, but yeah, like Mars gravity is about 40% of earths. And so, yeah, it's just, there's so much we, we barely understand. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, we're, we're years away. I mean, I think it could happen. Ideally we would find a planet with more similar earth conditions and then just figure out a way to get there fast, but (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's the big thing. I was like, right, you know, reading the book, The Martian, you know, and that was. Oh, yeah, I love that
1: movie. Yeah, the movie and the book. And they they kind
0: of talk about that as well, right? Like him being on, he's stuck, he's stranded on a planet in space all by himself. And not only the physical and all that stuff, but also the mental, like being, you know, we, you know, talk about, you know, Backtracking a little bit, but just like talking about, you know, the, the the idea we're talking about fitness and how beneficial it is to our mental right. Just people yeah. love exercising just because it makes them feel good, manage their stress, anxiety. Like that's one of the huge benefits of working out. And but think about like in a in a we had one of the greatest experiments in the world with COVID. And mm-hmm. the people that shuttled themselves, like just locked themselves in their house and got rid of their workout routine, stopped moving, they struggled mentally a lot more than the people who maybe started getting into a little bit more running or the outdoor activities they could do to stay healthy, or they still somewhat like for us, we did zoom personal training sessions and let people take equipment home. So they had dumbbells and some sort of external Mm -hmm. load at home uh, because all the equipment sold out instantly online. Um, (laughs) But just the, the benefit of working out when you were secluded from community Um, you know, because Mm -hmm. as humans, we were, we want to be around other people. That's so important to our existence and our health is having relationships and and community, but then realizing that the importance of working out when you were stuck inside your house and the, how much, how beneficial that was mentally for so many people to have that workout routine and have that release of energy and just for their mental health. was so, so important.
1: Oh, totally. And I, I even could see that I was, you know, feeling uh, a little, I don't know, just off. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I even knew like what was happening. It's yeah. like, oh, OK. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. So um, and with that, you know, I wanted to ask you this question and just kind of get your um, and have you kind of explain it as well is. You know, a lot of people come to us in the training world, right? And usually the big goal we see is weight loss. You know, everyone wants to, they want to lose weight, right? Um, And, you know, we always talk about, you know, there's a lot more information on it now with social media. People can learn a lot really quickly. Um, But the idea, everyone kind of thinks they got to spend so much time doing cardio, right? On the treadmill, riding the Peloton, you know, whatever. And they, they think cardio is the thing that's going to gonna get them to lose weight. And, and then you, you got the people that are a little bit more informed, educated are saying like, you got to strength train. The mm-hmm. importance of strength training is actually going to help expedite the weight loss process actually a lot quicker. But the thing that's also not talked about is nutrition, which is going to be <laughs> the, the most important thing for weight loss, um, in a, in a calorie deficit and whatnot. But you know, how important is strength training and to the weight loss process, compared to just, you know, grinding it out on the treadmill or the elliptical or a bike?
1: I, I mean, it's huge. I think, um, and I think people are starting to figure this out, but uh, for two reasons. One thing, when you string train, you may, and we did this study back in 1989. I was a master's student and a, a guy, uh, he was a year ahead of me. He did it. He equated um, auction consumption uh, with a walking on the treadmill and doing a weight training session. And then he looked at post-exercise oxygen consumption, which is an indicator of metabolism. So that's why we use that. And so during the cardio, you, you know, you burn so many calories and then after the session's over, you, it drops off pretty quick. You're back down to like your resting level of metabolism. The weights, we, we, uh, tracked the caloric expenditure auction consumption for 90 minutes after a weight training session. And it wasn't anything crazy. It was about, I think about eight exercises. It was like three sets of 10, just, you know, garden Mm -hmm. variety, normal hit all the main muscle groups type of program. Even after 90 minutes, auction consumption and caloric expenditure had not returned back to baseline. Wow. So that's the one benefit Is that you, when you lift, you go to a weight training session, you're going to continue to burn calories for far longer after you stop Mm -hmm. than you will with cardio. Now, we know that cardio is very beneficial for, you know, heart, lungs, that kind of stuff um but the weights really address the muscle the bone you know so that there's your whole body right there yep. and then the other thing is back is to the muscle and bone you you know you cannot if you just do cardio you're going to still lose muscle and bone you know it won't be as fast as if you sit around and do nothing but you're still going to lose muscle and bone as you age with weights not you don't and so just and then the other thing is your resting metabolism should be a bit higher with, with you maintaining your muscle, Mm that muscle's a metabolically active body part, you know? And so it's just burning calories just to, you know, just keeping itself um, functioning. And so Mm -hmm. you want that, you want to have that muscle mass because you're going to burn more calories just, you know, in your resting state. And that's what keeps the weight off. And so, um, you want to maintain your muscle and, and build muscle if you've lost muscle. And so the only way you can really effectively do that is with the, uh, the strength training, the weight training. And so, yeah, that's why it's just vital. And, and I've seen, um, more success out of women that were, you know, menopausal, postmenopausal, um, that were able to keep the weight off if they, as long as they lifted, if they just did cardio they still tended to put weight on around their midsection or thighs and stuff, you know, that post menopausal belly. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the, if people doing weight training, uh, strength training, um, it, that definitely uh, happens a lot less. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it is, it's important. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I always tell people like in reference to your BMR. You know, yeah. like the more the more you people could see that with like DEXA scans or in body scans and whatnot, as you add more lean muscle mass onto your body, mm-hmm. your BMR, the amount of calories in which you can eat for what other the amount of calories in which your body's burning, you know, um, is much higher, which allows you to now, you know, the, you could eat more and still be in a deficit, which now for most people like eating is they love it so you're like hey the more lean i have i my you know my my maintenance calories was 1700 well now i could eat 1800 and still be maintenance or i could actually i could be in a deficit at 2000 calories when i had to be in a deficit before at like 1800 you know so it's like it allows you to actually enjoy you you (laughs) get you you allow yourself more calories right like right you don't feel
1: guilty about everything you put in your mouth yeah
0: absolutely and so i think that's another too is like a missed thing is a lot of people they want to lose weight but they don't have any of the Data. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to lose weight. And I'm like, okay, so do you know roughly how many calories you're eating in a day? Well, I have no idea. Uh, do you have any idea what your BMR is or anything like that? Well, no, mm-hmm. I have no idea. And it's like, okay, we can't really make any sort of educated movement. We can't, you know, yeah, we can obviously, we know that eating less and then moving more will. Help that, But if we really, really want to start to make change here, we need to get some data, we got to get some numbers, you know, tracking your food. And that's one of the things that I realized nobody wants to do. Like when somebody really is serious about I need to lose 50 pounds, I'm like, all right, so I need a snapshot into your life here, we need to track your food here for the next two, three weeks. Um, To the T, we got to get really clear on what are you consuming in a day? Cause then we can now make a change. If we have no idea, if I don't know if you're eating 4,000, 6,000, it's going to be really, really hard to make sure that we're putting you in the correct deficit. So now it's not detrimental to you because now you feel sluggish and you're just like no energy. And we're going to now atrophy your muscles because you have no protein and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, I mean, I'm sure you see that all the time as well as protein is a very, very under, n- most people are not eating enough of it. We're not, right. eating, anywhere, it we're not always... eating anywhere near enough of protein um, in our people... day, in our diet.
1: I think with the initial like nutrition guidelines, the, the prevailing thought was people were eating too much protein. It's like, (laughs) not if you're exercising. No.
0: Yeah. So So it's like, I love that information. That's why I love like an in body orange. We have an in body that we pass around to the studios. And Mm -hmm. I think it really helps people understand. They kind of have that aha moment when they step on that in body and they could see what their lean muscle mass is. They could see what their fat mass is. They could see their overall, because when you step on just on a traditional scale, you don't really get the picture. You just kind of get this, you get this number. And you really actually have no idea what that number is made of, you know, water weight, skeletal weight, muscle mass weight, you know, fat mass weight. There's a lot of things going into that number. And that's why I love like a DEXA or an in-body because people can really start to understand what's actually going on and, and they, get to, they get to understand what that number is comprised of. And then mm-hmm. if they do it consistently, maybe every six months, every year, they do another scan. They could really see the changes when it comes to, you know, oh, wow, I've I've increased my lean muscle mass by 108 you know, percent. I've dropped my fat mass by six point two percent. Like you could really, really, kind of really see the importance of you know strength training and consistent exercise and diet and things like that.
1: Oh yeah, and and you you also see like it's impossible to lose just fat. It'd be great yeah. if we could do that, <laughs> yeah. but you know, and so it's just understanding how the body's going to respond. And like you said, with the diet, it, that's so critical as well. And um, it is a pain to track everything you eat, but then you realize how much eating you do that you're not really thinking about, you know, it's yep. just snack, snacking snack. and,
0: yeah. and even the oils, you know, like what you cook your food in, like getting clear. Mm-hmm. Cause that those oils carry a lot of calories and that could add up really fast. If you cook a lot of stuff in oils and butters, and you're not adding that. I feel like sometimes like tracking, we forget to track some of the, the little stuff that we put that could mm-hmm. actually lead to a lot and um, a lot of different change there as well. Um, so yeah, diet is definitely something that, you know, when it comes to weight loss, like you really do have to spend some time, but then after you do it for a couple of weeks, you really now have an understanding. It's not something that you'll need to do the rest of your life, right? but we do need it to kind of, to, to kind of start in order to kind of, um, get a good idea to make sure we're making proper change,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: with that. And so, um, throughout your years of study, has, is there any one study that really, really stood out to you that really stands out that really like the information that you got from it really changed maybe the way you thought, the way you trained, the way you trained people. Like, was there any one study that you've been a part of that really kind of like blew you away, knocked your socks off that was like, wow, that was really, really good?
1: Mm, that's a tough one. Cause I think it it totally depends on like what topic we're talking about. Like yeah, that one yeah. I mentioned about just understanding that uh with the weights, your metabolism stays elevated uh for you know, could be a few hours after a session versus cardio. I think that's a really...
0: That was groundbreaking. Funda- yeah. yeah,
1: fundamental thing to understand. Um, I also think just the more that we do with the older population, we realize they're not going to break. You know, they're not as fragile as we, you know, everybody wants to, you know, feel like people are their grandparent and, you know, want to look after them and not let them do anything. But that's like really not what we should be doing. We should be promoting... um people doing things and staying independent. So i think those kind of studies just understanding um more about aging and and um that we are capable of much more than we think. Like the d- the one study we did in Australia uh we weren't really trying we just wanted people to get stronger. So we wrote the training program, okay, here's where you are. You know, we did initial testing, we trained them, okay, here's where you are now. Let's keep training, here's where you are now. And it, we, we were just amazed at how strong people got. So this is just one example, but, um, we had a gentleman who, he was a bigger gentleman and, and he had, I think he had worked, I don't know, docs or something when he was younger, but so he was, he was fairly strong to begin with, but you know, at the end of the study, after a year of training, I think he initially was able to squat and this was in a Smith machine and it wasn't a mm-hmm. pair parallel. It was to a 90 degree angle. So a little bit shallow, but yeah, you know, I think initially he was squatting maybe 300 pounds. He, he squatted like 500 pounds at the end oh, You wow. know, and that we weren't trying for that. It's just, <laughs> that's just what happened. And, and th- that just made me realize it's like, all right yes we this is not this is for research purposes we're not saying this is what you have to do but it was almost like but it's also okay to get strong and people aren't as you know they're capable of more than we give them credit for and so mm-hmm. especially the older person so i think if we if we take that mindset into you know who we're working with we'll just see much better benefits when we do prescribe you know training regimens and things like that mm-hmm. and that'll you know, help people get motivated. And again, like we said earlier, it's not about, you know, getting stronger, stronger, stronger all the time, but it's, it's just, it's possible to make, you know, some great gains and then, you know, you want to try to maintain those. So, Mm -hmm.
0: and I think it's so important too. Like, I know a lot of people try to, when they're in their when they start to kind of either start their weight loss journey or their fitness journey, it's really easy to compare yourself to other people that have gotten results, maybe doing what you have done or what you're trying to do or the program. And and then you get demotivated because somebody, you know, you might do the same squat cycle as one person, but this person gained 25 pounds on their max mm-hmm. squat, but you only gained 15. And now they get like super unmotivated and they get uh, upset and it might derail them or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, you know, that's a big thing. I think for a lot of people is realize that like everybody is different. There are people that definitely do gain strength quicker than other people that gain muscle mass much faster and they will gain more of it quicker than somebody else who literally did the exact same thing as them. And um, I remember just in my training days, I used to kind of compete in CrossFit when, uh, back in like, you know, 10 years ago. And I remember when I started first going to some CrossFit competitions, I would, I would judge, I would look at people, right? And then aesthetically, I would, in my head, think about that person's probably going to be pretty good. This person's not going to be that good. Right. right? You're kind of (laughs) stuck. And then I learned really quickly that aesthetics had nothing to do with their performance. So guys that I looked at that looked like Adonis's, right? Like Greek statues, (laughs) like chiseled. And I'm like, man, that dude's going to be like super fit. And then I'm beating them in all the workouts, right? And, And like, you know, it's like, You can't use aesthetics as this marker of somebody, and I feel like a lot of people, you know, social media has been, is all over the place. People use their aesthetics to sell their training programs. Right. Look at me and the only reason you should trust me is because look at me, right? Why wouldn't you trust yeah, me? I, I obviously was successful. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. I look this great. So that I probably, what I, what I know how to train, I know exactly what to, what you need to do to look this way. And it's like, no, you're never going to look like that guy, right? Like, you know, yeah. we are not genetics and all that stuff. Like there is a big component of that. So I always tell people like train, run your race, put your blinders on and, and stick to the program. And program hopping is one of the worst things you could do, do something oh, for three yeah. weeks and then be like, Oh, this, doesn't work. I I tried keto and in six hours, I didn't lose the 20 pounds. So, you know, I'm going to go jump onto the paleo bandwagon and then I'm going to go do the carnivore diet. And then, and so I feel like so many people, like they jump and like, kind of like the idea of consistency, like no matter what you do, pick something and do it consistently. That's the only way you're going to get a result. And so for, you're saying like that guy gained 200 pounds on his back squat. Well, that was him. Somebody else who might've done the same exact thing might only gained 50 pounds on their back squat and don't compare other people's journeys to, yours and never let it demotivate you because, um, your body is different and it's going to respond differently.
1: Yeah. I think it's just finding that, that internal motivation and not worrying about what everybody else is doing because you know, you can't, first of all, you can't control it, but yeah, they they're probably eating differently. They got different genetics. It's just, it's not worth that. There's so whole, many things at play. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And in regards to supplementation and what has been your experience with, um, you know, I mean, obviously the supplement world is crazy. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot, and it's not regulated that much. And, but there are, there has been a lot of research around a lot of specific supplements that are, do play a really, really key role in our health. That could be really, really beneficial for a lot of people. And with that, what has been some of your experience with some of those supplements, whether it's magnesium, whether it's creatine, whether it's protein, um, things like that, you know, are there any supplements that you're like, yeah, like these have been proven and I do highly recommend that the majority of people that are very active in training, definitely, definitely um, take this supplement.
1: Yeah. And that's a tough one. Cause that's certainly not, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, an area I consider myself strong in, yeah. um, you know, we, I think people generally accept that creatine can help, especially if you're really trying to train hard and, mm. um, that just helps your body store, some of the compounds that it needs to, you know, have those uh, produce energy really quickly and have those type of muscle contractions. I think um, just being around people that have trained for bodybuilding, we talked about protein earlier and and people not necessarily always getting enough protein in their diet. I think that really helps because uh, that one chief complaint of people that I've been around when they've been training for bodybuilding is that they have to, and we said it already. That you have to eat all the time, and it's it's not enjoyable. So when you can take, you know, a supplement that has, you know, a balance of maybe protein and carbs and stuff, um, that will help get those calories into you, whether you out you having to eat like you said ten steaks or whatever, um, those can be helpful. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, vitamins in general are not harmful unless you just go nuts with them. And most of the time, you know, if you're able to eat a balanced diet, you don't really need them, but there are, might be times where you're, um, maybe low on a, a certain type of, you know, vitamin or mineral, but depending on what you're eating and, and yeah, that's where a, a nutritionist comes in. Cause that's mm-hmm. certainly not, not my area. Yeah. Um, and I'm just trying to think of other,
0: I know we were like really push like vitamin D just cause like in Wisconsin, yeah. you know, like the sun and we're not getting exposed to it. And vitamin D is so beneficial and everybody it's safe for everybody to take. It's benign. Like, you know, if it's going to only do more, it's going to do good. And, you know, like, you know, calcium for people with, you know, the bone density and, right. and, and stuff like that, vitamin C, some of the basics.
1: Yeah. I think, and I actually, I take all those, <laughs> yeah but yep. you know, it's just, you know, age thing. And, um, but yeah, you're right. People that are in less sunny environments um probably do need a little help. Um but yeah, I think those are the ones I know the most about, but uh, I, I don't I haven't really been following um that stuff too much, but yeah. there's always something coming out, you know, touted as the next great thing and you know, most of it's not really harmful, but I think it it gets back to well, is this really helping you and is it really worth the investment? And That's does the average
0: to... person need to be right. taking it at such a level? And a lot right. of it's sales. You know, these people are trying to sell their product, of course. So they're going to tell you it's the greatest thing on this earth to take. And if you're not, you're an idiot type deal. So right. it's just it's just understanding like where you're at in your life and what you're trying to achieve will pretty much steer you um, to some, you know, steer you away from a lot of the, the gimmicky stuff. Um, right. So with that, um, I just want to ask you a couple of last questions. And okay. um, one, what are you currently working on? Is there anything really fun that you're currently working on?
1: Well, you know, my research agenda, I've kind of tapered it down. I, you know, I've been, like you mentioned earlier, I've been doing this (laughs) a while. Mm -hmm. I've been um, shifting more towards the, you know, I've got more of an administrative role in my job. I still teach, um, but I'm really more on the education side now. I'm really trying to, uh, we're, you know, pursuing our uh, programs accreditation through the national strength and conditioning association and so i'm i'm kind of focused on um the teaching side of it and not so much in the lab but i still serve on thesis committees so i'm not really doing my own stuff anymore but i'm helping out you know students as they uh complete their research and and my fellow faculty if you know i'm helping them out with stuff so i, I don't really have anything i'm working on specifically um I was trying to think what student projects are doing right now. But um yeah, they're just some stuff getting started. So we haven't really hammered anything out yet. But
0: mm-hmm. yeah. And what has, so what, what has been some of the biggest, obviously like you say, we've been doing this for a long time. And what has been some of the biggest changes in the understanding of exercise physiology from when you started to today? Obviously research has advanced so much. Um what have been some of those big changes um that you've really you've really kind of seen happen over time.
1: Well, I think exponential, you know, in terms of the technology, that that's one thing that, you know, our society, we, we've seen it just in our own lifetimes, but just the technological advances have enabled us to look at things, you know, down to the molecular, the genetic level, just so much easier, you know, before that was the domain of of a very, you know, few isolated labs. But now, you know, a lot of labs have that equipment and you can look at like, what's uh, happening at the level of the, you know, the genes in terms of like muscle growth and, and uh, metabolism and, and uh, bones and all that stuff. So I think just our understanding of uh things on a more um very, very molecular level has just vastly improved. And, you know, that may take a while to translate all the way to the, you know, practitioner, somebody trying to help someone, but I I just think we know so much more than we did. You know, we've understood like general stuff about like muscle contraction and, um, you know, you lift this and you're going to expect this outcome, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) we've known that stuff for a while, but yeah, just the whole, like the basic science side of things has just really exploded with all the technological advances in, in what we can see and do, um,
0: you know, workout oh, tech so. has really gotten crazy, like the yeah, wearable, the- all the different wearables and all the stuff that the, just the average person now can track about their life and their sleep and just mm-hmm. everything is, is really, really cool. And just all the different training methodologies around, you know, muscle growth with like, um, you know, just like some of the crazy stuff you see now with like different ways to train but like uh was that like, kind of like that constriction training where you uh, oh yeah blood, blood, flow. blood
1: flow restriction yeah blood flow
0: rest- yeah it's so crazy right and like you can i don't so know if like, i'd
1: want to do that but no if that seems like apparently it works and, yeah exactly
0: like <laughs> you could lift like a five pound dumbbell but since you're restricting the blood flow it, it's you don't have to lift you know as heavy a weights and there are just so many different crazy because now we're able to study that stuff and learn that thing and so so you kind of talked a little bit about like what you've seen change mm-hmm. where do you see it now from today moving forward where you think you know where do you see exercise physiology and maybe what we could what we what we could do with the information in the next 50 to 100 years to now maybe increase the um longevity and vitality of humans and maybe we're living to our our you know obviously like the last couple of years our average lifespan has like dropped down for the first time in a long time and right you know can we get that they're saying you know if you know, could we live, could the average person live to 100, 120 years old, things like that? Like, where do you see the future of this exercise physiology field and what we learn and just, you know, and how important it's going to become and, you know, everything like, where do you see it kind of going? Like-
1: Well, I do think now that we can examine things, you know, at the cellular and the molecular level, I think our understanding of how things work will, you mentioned earlier, we were talking about, you know, diseases. I think we can tie that in because, you know, as we understand the disease process and then we understand, you know, normal physiological function at that level where a lot of diseases get started, I think we will be able to see that interface between, you know, obviously normal functioning, but optimal functioning and how exercise can impact that. Because as we understand, you know, because the whole campaign that uh, American College of Sports Medicine has, exercise is medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, and I do believe that. And I think as we are able to then understand how it's medicine, you know, not just the fact, okay, you exercise, you're going to feel better and you'll probably be healthier. Okay. Yay. We've got that figured out. But <laughs> just uh, the, the how, like, how is this happening? Oh, well, it's activating this gene and this gene controls that disease. Yeah. So I think we'll be able to tie disease and exercise in, um, more and more, you know, we're starting to do it now, but we've got a long ways to go. And then, um, but back to longevity, you know, I think the COVID years, um, you know, part of the, uh, longevity thing it's i think i still think there's people more and more people living closer and closer or past 100 than Mm -hmm. um and in and covid kind of screwed up the stats because so many people you know perished because of something if not directly covid indirectly covid but um I just remember when I was living in La Crosse, uh, the the paper, we had a subscription to the newspaper. Uh, that's when they still used to print it, you know, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but, you know, you would read and it would they'd have like a page wishing all these people that had reached 100, you know, wishing them a happy birthday. They have like a little blurb and a picture. And, you know, there'd be like a couple people each week. Well, now it's just crazy how many people have reached that milestone. So I do think our longevity has improved and, and I, you know, we may be, as we understand things more and, you know, part of it's okay. Part of it's understanding uh, as you, and you know, this as well, being in the field you're in. Um, but the other part is getting people to
0: do buy it, in, you know? Yeah. yeah.
1: We all know what's good for us. It's just, are we yeah. willing to do it? And so, but if, yeah. <laughs> if that becomes the case, people are more willing to do stuff that's going to be, uh, you know, better for optimal health and longevity. Then I think we will see that whole sh- continued shift of people living longer and, and not just living and being so frail, they can't do anything, but like living longer and yeah. actually being able to be and do stuff and having so, that
0: vitality, you yeah. know, and actually yeah, yeah. to not live to 90, but the last 20 years of your life have been in R- and out of the hospital yeah. and bedridden in a wheelchair. And it's like, no, we want you know we want to be able to enjoy those years and and do everything that we want to do and enjoy those retirement golden years that we we all wish to strive to be able right. to, to get to if we're lucky enough so well, with that, Travis, I just uh, it was such a pleasure talking with you, and I just want to respect your time. And and, and I feel like you know um, I could chat with you about this stuff for like hours and hours and hours. And so, um, but it was such a pleasure meeting you. And um, in anytime Scott talks highly about somebody, it gets me really excited because I look up to Scott. And so anytime he speaks highly of somebody, um, it's a it's always an honor to be able to chat with them. So thank you so much for just you know sharing your knowledge and um, your your profession and just all the years you've been doing this and all the research and it's just, it's so cool to see. And I just love learning and and learning from other people that are just way smarter than me in this stuff. So <laughs> it was just great chat with you and, and hearing your passion and sharing this. So thank you so much.
1: And thanks. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it too.
0: All right. Thank you, Travis. And I, I hope you have a great, um, a great rest of your day and the rest of your week.
1: All right. Thanks. You too.
0: <laughs> As always, thank you so much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate every listen that I get. With that being said, if you have any feedback or any questions you would like answered on future episodes, please use the link in the bio above to submit me a quick little voice message you could do right from your phone. I would love to hear from you. So thank you so much again for listening and have a great rest of your day.